How are we doing, church? Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us today. Good morning, Crescent Campus. It's great to be with you. Hello, everybody watching at St. Greg's, everybody watching at home. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. You turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. That's where we're going to be at today. Uh, this is week number two of our series called Great Expectations, and we're going to be in 2 Kings the entire time. 2 Kings chapter 5, really, the entire time. And so um, you can have great expectations of not jumping out of that. Uh, we'll look at a couple other verses throughout, but mostly we're going through this story in 2 Kings 5 to talk about anticipating what God has next for our lives. Even when it's confusing or we want to go do our own thing, we, we really have to look at what God is saying next and then and then have a decision of we're either going to embrace it or we're going to run away from it. Um, let me let me kind of set today up like this. Um, all of us, I would be willing to bet, just about everybody watching, everybody here, maybe a few exceptions, but most all of us have bought something online. Anybody ever bought something online? Yeah, that's like the majority of us. Here's a little secret about me, a little fun fact about Ryan. I prefer shopping online. Anybody else like that's your preferred method? That's that's mine. Just so you know, like I really do prefer online. Now I have a couple reasons of why I love shopping online. Number one is because I'm an introvert. <laughs> I, I really am. None of you believe me when I say that. They were like, but you get up and you preach and you do all this stuff. Like, uh-uh, I'd rather just be sheltered in place. <laughs> like, I'd, like that's that's just who I am. Number two, and this is probably the bigger reason, or at least it goes into the introverted reason, is because every time I, sh- I shop, all I want to do is buy what I want. And anybody else, like, I just want to go in. I know what I'm going to get. I want to get in. I want to get it. And I want to get out. And that's why I love Board Narrow so much, because there's no pressure. There's no anything like that. Um, that's why I love I love Wilkie's. Like, here in town, like, that's, that's why I love shopping there. Because at most places, like, I go in, all I want to do is I just want to buy a shirt. Like, that's it. I want to buy the shirt. I want to take the shirt home. Th- that That's it. I want to put it on. I want to Like, that's all I want. But every time, seemingly like without failure. There's somebody to cash register and they got a script. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Hello, sir. Would you like a credit card? No, I don't want a credit card, but you can get 20% off. I don't want 20% off. You know what? Just charge me double for the shirt. In fact, I'll give you $20 on top of double if you just stop the script right now and just put the shirt in the bag so I can go home. I love online shopping. Now, Back in the day, we didn't have online shopping. There were no internets. There were no Walmart. In fact, Walmart wasn't like as big as what it is now. And so you didn't have that. If you wanted to get something, you wanted to order something that wasn't in a store, you had to use this thing called a catalog. How many of you remember ordering out of catalogs? Now, back then, the most famous, most popular catalog of all times was the what? The Sears catalog, old people in the room. That thing was so thick. And I remember when I was a kid, I just turned right to the toy section. And then I couldn't imagine having that many toys. It was, it was awesome. But if you wanted to get something, you had to call a number or you had to fill out a form and then call the number. Or you had to mail it in with your credit card number. Over the phone, you gave them your credit card number. And, and somewhere between four and six weeks, remember this? Like they always said, between four and six weeks. Now, 
four to six weeks, when they told you you would get something in four to six weeks, it really wasn't four to six weeks, was it? Like you could have three or four birthdays before that thing got to you. You never knew when it was coming. Now today, man, today, because of technology, it is awesome. Like you can track your passion package. Isn't that like the greatest thing in the world? Pull up on the internet, doesn't matter. UPS, post office, FedEx, whatever. You can pull it up and you can know exactly where your package is. Around Christmas time, let's be honest, how many of you are tracking packages four, five, seven, 18 times a day? They're like, oh my gosh, it's not going to get here on time. It keeps changing. It's not going to get here. Now, sometimes you get a notification that your package has been delivered. My son lives over in Boone, and we get we use the same Amazon account, and so we get the notification that his package has been delivered. He gets same-day delivery over there. Like, that's the greatest thing in the world. But they take a picture of the package, and then they send it to you. So it's, like, awesome. But you get this notification, and this this happened to me um, at Christmas time. It was like the week before Christmas. I ordered something for Jira, and it said that it had been delivered. I went outside, and it wasn't there. Who's that happened to before? And I was like, oh, man, we got like a, a porch pirate, and I don't have the ring cameras yet or anything like that. So I was like freaking out. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm looking all around the house. I walked around a couple neighbors' houses. I didn't see my package there. And, and so I got online, and when you, when you get online, you got to like, there's no number you can call anymore. You got to like chat with somebody. And so I'm chatting with the Amazon rep and they're telling me, well, it should be there. It's, I'm like, it's not there. Well, it should be there. I, I understand what you're saying, but it's not there. And about an hour into this, I got a knock on my door and I opened it up. It was one of my neighbors. He said, hey, um, this package has your name on it, your information. It got delivered to my house. I'm like, how hard is it people to bring something to the right place? And I told the Amazon rep and They were like, whatever. They like really didn't care. Anyway, the point, all of us have probably had that experience where your package got delivered to the wrong place or it didn't get there in the right time or it just didn't arrive at all or whatever. But you know what? Most all of us have probably had that same type of experience with God. Now, let me kind of continue this thought like, like, like this. All of us, probably at some point in our lives, God has said, I want you to do this. And we said, okay, God. But then we went and did the opposite. Like God said, go here. And we went over there. And then there's like an angel in heaven, like tracking the package, like tracking to see where you're going, what you're going to do. And they're like, hey, God, Ryan's losing his mind right now. You told him to go to Boone and he's in Omaha or, or, or whatever. Isn't that true of us? Like God will say, this is what I want you to do. Or God will tell us, this is what I want for you. God makes it, makes it abundantly clear. But let's just be honest. There are some people watching today, some people here. You're at a place in life that you thought you would never be. And you're doing things you thought you would never do. And, and it's because you got off track. And it's because you started looking at worldly solutions to spiritual problems. You clearly know that God operates in the spiritual but, but you, you quit looking to and listening to God and you turn to somebody who doesn't maybe even know God or a system that doesn't know God to answer your problems. And you got off track. And the reason we get off track is because we don't do what God has clearly called us to do. Well, the good news today is a couple things. N- number one, you're not the only person who's done it. Like most of us, I, like I know a guy, his name is Ryan. He's a pastor. I've, I've done that. I've not done what God has clearly told me to do. Secondly, it's never too late 
to get back on track. If you've gotten off track, it's never too late to get back on. Now, we're going to see this in this story in 2 Kings chapter 5. How many of you, anybody like read ahead this week? Anybody? Anybody like that godly to read ahead and finish the whole thing and know the story? Anyway, um, last week, last week we finished up and we said following God, like sometimes, sometimes we make it like way more complicated than it really is. Like how many of you know somebody that can take something that's really simple and make it super complicated. You know somebody like that? I mean, math teachers. Am I right? Like, it, they take it. It should be like a really simple concept, and they, like, complicate it and put letters with it and everything. It's complicated. And so last week, we discovered a man named Naaman who had leprosy. And we saw this girl that he had captured. We don't know her name, which is significant, um, but we'll talk about that later. We, we find this girl that he captured, made her, her his slave, and, and she came in, and, and she said, hey— Naaman, um, there's a way for you to get healed. Let's look at it again. It's 2 Kings chapter um, 5, verse 3. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, at first, this seems really, really, really vague. It's kind of like, I wish he would go see the redneck in Guthrie. Like, who is that? Like, there's like 80 of them, I guess. I don't, I don't even know like who to go see. But listen, don't miss this. The prophet in Samaria, this is huge. The prophet in Samaria would have been a well-known person. It wasn't vague. Everybody knew this was a reference to Elisha. And here's what's funny. Don't, don't, Don't miss this. The girl said, this is where you need to go. This is who you need to see. Simple? Yes or no? Clear? Yes or no? Like crystal clear. I want you to go see the prophet in Samaria. The prophet where? In Samaria. Who's in Samaria? The prophet. His name is Elisha. Everybody knows. Simple, right? But at the end of the day, and you might not believe this, but every single one of us has the ability to mess it up, to hear something very and do the exact opposite. Listen, I could write a book. (laughs) I'm like the foremost expert on this subject. Naaman did that. Naaman messed it up. And so watch this. Watch what happens in verse four. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. In other words, he went to his boss, which is the king of um, Aram, and he told the king, hey, I had this conversation with this girl. She told me to do this. And they probably had this conversation. Why do you need to go there? Why do you need to be healed? Did you get hurt in battle? And he probably had to have this conversation. No, I have leprosy. And, and it was kind of this back and forth thing. Now, something really important to point out here, super important. Naaman pretty much, I mean, we could argue this, but we're just going to go with this, pretty much received a word from God. This is where I want you to go. This is what you need to do. This is who you need to see. Then he went to the king to get permission. Something dangerous happens when we take something God has put inside of us and we take it to a person who doesn't know God. Because when we take it to a person who doesn't know God, who doesn't know about his power, who doesn't know about his presence, that person will always try their best to send us in another direction. All right, so that's important. We'll talk about that later. Let's keep going. Verse five, go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the, what's that next word say? To the king of Israel. Hold up. Did the girl say anything about a king, yes or no? No. She said, go see what? 
the prophet. Go see the prophet. And so Naaman's like, I'm going to go see the prophet. He goes and tells his boss, the king, hey, I need to go see the prophet. And his boss says, great, be awesome, because you're a mighty warrior. Through you, I'm getting all kinds of victories. Like, it's awesome, it's great, but you're not going to go see the prophet. You're going to go see the king. The girl said prophet. The king said king. This is crazy. Because once again, Naaman had pretty much received a word from God. But he took that word from God to a man that didn't know God, and that man who didn't know God tried to send him in another direction. Super important. Don't don't miss that. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts, watch this, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and, and this is my favorite, and 10 sets of clothing. Why? Because he's on his way out of town and Old Navy was having a sale. Like, just ran it. I don't, I don't know. Ten sets. That, that's a lot. Ten sets of clothing is a lot of clothing. It's a lot of stuff. All the silver, all the gold, that's a ton of stuff. Now, hold up. Think about this. Did the girl mention he needed to take anything? No. Nothing. But see, we don't believe that grace is free. We ultimately believe that salvation is going to cost us something. But understand, the cross is a reminder that our debt has been paid in full. Unfortunately, too many Christians have replaced the cross with a ladder, and we think it's something we're supposed to climb in order to get to God. And Naaman thought that. Naaman thought, hey, I can't just go to the prophet. I can't just do the, like, I don't even understand how this works. I got to earn my way in. I'm going to go, I'm going to buy my way in. Now watch what happens, because this is fascinating. It's so interesting how much we've progressed in thousands of years. Naaman is told, take your problems to God. And he winds up taking his problems to the government. Yeah, this is where we're about to go. (laughs) This is about to be so much fun. Watch what happens. Watch what happens in this story. It's crazy. Verse six, the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want, what's it say? You. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Did the girl say that the king of Israel could heal his leprosy? Yes or no? No. She said, go see the prophet. But he winds up going to the king, took his problems to the government instead of God. We do the same thing. Now, this is where people lose their minds. I got like five text messages this week. I'm coming to church if you're going to talk about politics in the church. I don't think we should talk about politics in the church, Pastor Ryan. Got to keep politics and the church separate. L- listen, we've tried that for how many years in America? How's that going for us? <laughs> Flipping horrible. That's how it's going for us. And listen, I understand. I understand the argument that you have, that everybody has. You got to keep politics out of church. I understand why people say that. But listen to me. If you're going to hold on to that argument and you're going to be intellectually honest, then you got to go through your Bible and you got to take stories out of people like Joseph and David and Moses and Solomon and um, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Esther, Paul, and Jesus. Like there are situations where they're clearly involved and intertwined in in these two things. See, don't don't miss this. Christianity is all about Jesus. I get that. I understand that. Just Jesus. But Jesus did not die on a cross 
so that he could just be a part of our life. He died so he could be our life. And if we try to section off our life, okay, well, I'm going to put a little Jesus over here. I got a little Jesus over here. I'm going to sprinkle a little Jesus here, maybe over here. I'm not going to put any Jesus over here. I'm going to come to church on Sunday. I'm just going to do Bible stuff on Sunday. I'm not going to worry about anything else. And, and I'm going to keep everything separated into sections. Listen to me. You show me an area of your life where Jesus is not Lord of your life, and I will show you the area of your life that is the most out of control and where you are experiencing the most anxiety. Now, let me pause because you've got to do some clarifiers here, all right? I am not. I am not the anti-government guy. I'm not. I'm not that that guy. I'm not going to go on YouTube and start going all crazy about that stuff. I'm not. The, the, The Bible clearly says Pray for your leaders. And we've never needed to apply those verses more than we do right now. Amen? Like, I, listen, I'm a very political guy. You'll never know. I'm not going to, I'm not endorsing um, candidates um, out from here. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm not, I'm not picking sides. I'm not doing those things. But listen, as a Christian, you have a responsibility you, you are not just to stand back and be silent. The church has been silent in these issues for way too long. And these issues that we've been silent on have become great big problems because we've tried to allow government to solve these problems, worldly problems to spiritual solutions. These things are spiritual. I, 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 want, I need you to understand something. God minus government equals chaos. That, that's why I'm not anti-government. Like if we didn't have a government, like, I'm thankful for the government because they do some good stuff. Like, like, think about this. I know we make fun of it all the time, but red lights and stop signs. Can you imagine in Carroll if we didn't have any red lights and no stop signs and people just said, I'm just going to drive by the Spirit. God is my co-pilot. Well, that's your problem. He should be in the driver's seat, idiot. He's not a co-pilot. He's the pilot. All right, let, let, let's, get, let's get more real. Think, think about this. If you don't have government— What if you knew for a fact that you could kill somebody and get away with it? Like, like there was a night of the purge or whatever. Like, like there's, there's no repercussions. Nobody was going to arrest you. You could not, would not be prosecuted. You could absolutely kill somebody and there'd be no consequences. This would be a messed up place to live. Yes or no? Yeah. So, I mean, the government's got some good stuff going. I'm not the anti-government guy. Now, on the flip side of that, People like to argue and they say, well, if you get too much religion in the government, you have the Crusades. Hold up. All right, like, listen, really sorry about the Crusades. It's a perfect example of how Christians screwed it up and missed the point. But you got to go back like a thousand years ago to talk about that. It's time for a little bit of grace on that one. Yes or no? Yeah, because I believe that the government minus God equals tyranny. For, for those of you who really do believe that the government and God should be separate, well, people have tried that in the past. As a matter of fact, last century people tried that. There were three major world leaders that held to the idea that there was no God. They were atheists. Their names, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, and Mao Zedong. And between those three men, somewhere between 50 and 75 million people lost their lives. That's what you get when you have government minus God. But we do this. We, we do. We take our problems that are serious problems, and we think the government's going to solve it instead of going to God. 
Let's take something that's super, super, super non-controversial. We'll, we'll, start, we'll start this out really, really light and really easy. Um, everybody will relax when I say this word. Racism. Feel that? Feel that? Like, oh, man, we did a series on racism here. People, people left the church. People got upset. Can't be talking about that. L- listen, newsflash. I'm white. I, I, I know somebody's wondering, but yes. I've put all of your minds at ease. I am white. My dad's side of the family um, comes from Spain. My mom's side, they're like Irish-Italian mix of all kinds of different things. Now, I was born in 1974, and racially, 1974 was a way different country than it is today. Was it not? Would you agree with that? Now, while I'm white— And this might be a controversial statement, but I would say it's a way different world racially today than it was back then. Like, like I think it's, I think it's better than it was. Is it where it needs to be? Dear God, no. But think about this. About five or six years ago, the government became way more consumed and involved in the conversation regarding racism. Would you agree with that? Yes or no? Has it gotten better or worse? Yeah, it's gotten worse. And the reason it's gotten worse is because it's not a governmental political issue. It isn't a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And you can pass rules and regulations and write laws, and you could change the law, but only Jesus Christ can change the heart and the mind of somebody who looks down on another person. Like, it's all, it always blows my mind that a white person would look down on a black person. And it blows my mind because you didn't choose to be white. You didn't choose that. It's crazy that we would look down on somebody because they have a different skin color, thinking we're better than them. It's insane. It's a sin problem. And only Jesus can change the heart and the mind. Let's loosen up a little bit. Let's talk about a word that's even less controversial than that. COVID. I love it when people come and tell me, somebody said, I go to one of them feel-good churches. What? Yeah, they said, I go to a feel-good church. Tell them, "Uh uh-uh. Tell them, you got rich at your church. What? Say, yeah, I got rich. How do you get rich? Well, the pastor talks about some tense subjects, and I sat on some some coals and squeezed a little too hard, and, man, a diamond came out of it. Anyway, that's a pastor joke. It's really cheesy. But COVID, COVID, does anybody in this room, anybody watching right now, feel like at some point during the COVID pandemic that the government mishandled the situation? Just raise your hand. I'm I'm just asking for a friend. That's it. Did they lie to you in any way, shape, form, or fashion through the process? Again, just asking for a friend. Now, now listen, I'm not going to go into a debate, a mask versus no mask, vaccine versus no vaccine, Shut down. I am going to tell you, we ain't shutting down again. I'll keep saying that. It ain't, ain't going to happen because the church is essential. But, but and, and listen, I get it, man. I know. I know there's somebody saying, well, what about all the people that died from COVID and continue to die? I'm with you. Like, I'm not up here making light of it. I'm, I'm really not. I just read last week, they said um, that 1,500 people a week are, are dying from COVID-related illnesses right now. And, and I get it. And people are upset and they're putting it all over social media and they're doing all this. Stuff. But, but, but let me ask you this. If you're upset and you're overly passionate about all of this COVID stuff, are you as passionate 
about 3,000 babies getting murdered every single day. Now, let me pause, all right, for all you pro-choice people out there. I'm glad you're here. I really am. I'm glad you're here. This is a great church for you to come to. But I want you to understand something. Abortion has never been about choice. In fact, you don't have to take my word for it. You go back and you can, you can like, look this up, man. You can Google this, do the research yourself. The abortion industry in America alone makes between 3 and 3.5 million a day. A day. It's never been about choice. It's always been about money. And if you really want to go back and you really want to look into it, it's about systemic racism. And that's how it really started. But that's another message for another time. Wait another 10 years. When all the COVID information comes out, somebody getting rich, somebody getting real rich. Now, the reason I bring all this up is very simple. In the scriptures, when we see things like this happen to a nation, people want to jump on and they would say, well, God's punishing this nation and they want to go through all this stuff. And God's not necessarily trying to punish that nation, but he is trying to get their attention. Because at the end of the day, you need to understand something. God is our healer. God is our peace. God is our provider. God is our protector. And if we would quit depending on politicians to do what God promised he would do, maybe this would be a better place. Just a thought. Now, I'll lay off government for a second, but understand we rely too much on them to solve our spiritual problems. We, we do that. God will say, go here, and we go here. God will say, hey, don't go to that house because the people in that house do that habit that you can't seem to get away from, so don't go to that house, and then we'll go where? We'll go to that house. God will say, don't date that person. If you date that person, they're going to lead you down that road that you shouldn't be going down, and we date that person thinking that, hey, we're smarter than God. God hasn't considered our situation. God doesn't know what's going on in 2024. The Bible was written thousands of years ago, and God didn't know this, and God's making stuff up as he goes. And we miss it because God says, go here, and we go here. We've all done this before. And watch what happens. This is crazy, verse 7. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay. Now, (laughs) let me explain this. Back in the day, when they got upset, that's what they did. They tore their clothes. Today, we put our fists to the wall, or we throw our phone, or we fire off a mean tweet, or a mean text, or whatever. Aren't you glad we don't tear our clothes anymore when we get mad? Any, anyone with me? I'd walk out of Walmart naked every time. I'm telling you, I would. Standing in the line. You're writing a check? <laughs> anyway, that's probably too much. Tore his clothes in dismay. And said, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal somebody with leprosy? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. And he's talking about the king. So can you believe there was a time in the world where politicians would accuse other politicians of trying to pick a fight? (laughs) I know we've come so far. Praise Jesus. So can we say, through reading this, can we accurately say, and you don't even have to be a Bible scholar to agree on this, that when the king of Israel heard what Naaman wanted, he freaked out. Yes, yes or no? Yeah. And we, we've all done this, right? We've all freaked out. We've all lost our minds. But the reason that the king of Israel freaked out and tore his clothes is because he wasn't aware of the power and the presence of God. And when we become unaware of the power and presence of God, that's our natural result to just absolutely freak out and lose our minds. But the Bible says, and and this is super hard, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, 
Be anxious about anything. I always want to look at that, and I'm like, all right, shut up, Paul. Like, that's, that's horrible advice. Somebody comes up to you, you're freaking out. Hey, the Bible says don't be anxious, but, but it does. It says that. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. How many times is our first reaction to pray about it? Like, like honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll admit with, for, to you, like for me, less than I like to admit. I'm like, I know, I know, I know God, but, but something happens to us, right? We become temporary atheists and we forget all about him. We forget about what he's done in the past. We forget about what he's promised to do in the future. And we freak out and we reduce the size of God to the size of our problems. The rest of the verse says, present your requests to God and the peace of God. Like if somebody can bottle up the peace of God and sell it, would you buy some? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Joel and those guys sell it. But anyway, like I'd buy it. Like if it was legit, I'd buy it. And I, I wouldn't care what I had to do to get it in me. Like seriously, I would drink it. I'll smoke it. I would snort it. God put some of that in my pipe. God, I'll smoke. Like I'm just talking central language, just connecting with my people. But th- th- this verse right here, this is great advice. But I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, as your pastor, looking at this verse, Man, I'm not there yet. I wish I was, but I still get anxious. I still forget to pray. I still freak out at times. There are still times where I don't have the peace of God in my life. And so how do you deal with this? How do you get through the freak out moments? Well, for me, and this, this is something that I'm really working on, because this is how this package or this, um, this passage um, unpacked to me um, a few months ago. Philippians um, that verse that we just read, Philippians is, is originally written by a guy named Paul who was in prison when he wrote this. He had um, started this church in Philippi, and he's writing a letter to, to them while he's in prison. And what got me when I went through this is, is I went through it with the mindset of how could Paul say this? Like, how could Paul say, don't be anxious about anything, but every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God in prison? Because if I'm in prison, I'm not writing that. I'm anxious. I'm freaking out. But Paul, you really have to look. It's crazy. In our Bible today, we've got chapters and verses and numbers, and it breaks apart, and we don't flow it like the original Greek a lot of times. And, and so a lot of times we have to go back and we have to really look at the context and what's going on. And, and for Paul to say this, you have to, because this is the verse, this is the verse that goes on our coffee mugs. This is the verse that everybody memorizes. And, and everybody skips over verse five, but verse five is the key that unlocks verse six. He says, let your gentleness be known to all. And then, and then he says this, the Lord is near. The, the Lord is near. That's huge. The Lord is near. In other words, even when you're not pursuing him, he's pursuing you. What, what would happen? What would happen if we fully embraced and had an understanding that the Lord is near? Then, then, then we don't have to be anxious about anything because he's near. And we can pray and we can give him thanksgiving because we know he's right there with us. And his peace will cover us even when hell is breaking loose around us. See, when we're unaware of the presence of God, when we don't understand that Jesus is near, we'll go to places that we said we would never do or go and do things we said we would never do. And then we'll freak out and we'll melt down. This is what is happening to Naaman. And because of that, 
He went to the wrong place. He was clearly told where to go, who to see, what to do, and he, he's, he's in front of the naked king of Israel who's freaking out. But watch what happens next, verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, and we don't know how, probably like somebody's like live streaming it, it's on TikTok or whatever. When he had torn his clothes, clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. And this is my favorite part. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. And I could just see him, like, rolling up with his horses and chariots, beep, beep, just, and just sitting there. Um, let, let me pause real quick, and let me say this, and I'll get back to the story. Next week, next week we're going to see this. Next week we're going to talk about Naaman's healing. Next week is what I call a salvation message. This text sets up the gospel so incredibly well. It's amazing. This is going to be one of those messages next week where if you have someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus, do whatever it takes to get them here in the building next week. Because I believe Jesus is going to save some people. That's, that's at least what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing for. So if you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus, get them here next week. It's going to be amazing. All right, but verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him, send Naaman here. Now, let's talk about Naaman for a second. Naaman's not a good guy. He, he's not. Naaman is a murderer. He's a warrior. He's killed Jewish people. He is not a believer in God. Most likely, he didn't even respect God. And yet, here we see this young girl, who again, we don't even know her name, say, hey, if you go to Samaria to see the prophet, he'll heal you. He gets an opportunity to experience something that's miraculous, but he goes to the wrong place. Now, if you're God, let me back up. Have you ever lost your patience with somebody? You ever lost your patience? Like, my gosh, I meet people say, I have never cussed. Well, you ain't never house trained a pet. You never had a baby. You had never been married. Hello? <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you're that godly. But for the rest of us, we've all been frustrated with things. Can you imagine? Like, if you if, think about this. If you tell somebody to do something and they do the opposite, you'll probably only get this if you're a parent. Have you ever told your kid, don't do that, and they do it? What happens, nobody says, oh, my gosh, I just love you so much. And so can you imagine God? He says, Naaman, I have given you a very clear, specific instruction Go to the prophet in Samaria, but you went to the king in Israel. And you can almost see God and expect him to say, Naaman, forget you, man. I'm done with you. You messed up. You got it wrong. But aren't you glad that two of the words in the Bible used to describe God are patient and kind? Patient and kind. In fact, 2 Peter 3, 9 says it's because of his patience. That's the reason why he hasn't come back yet. I, I meet people from time to time that say, how can he believe in Jesus? If he's real... Why is all this bad stuff happening? Why hasn't he just come back yet? It's because he loves you so, so much that he doesn't want you to go to hell, and he wants you to get saved. He's patient. Watch this. He's not trying to punish Naaman. He's not trying to get him back. He's trying to bring him back in. Even though Naaman had messed up, probably more than most of us have ever messed up, God, through Elisha, says, hey, Naaman, you can still get healed. Yeah, you went to the wrong place, you went to the wrong person, but I still still want you to get healed. There are people here. You're watching, you're, you're in the room, you're in one of our buildings, and you're at the wrong place spiritually. And you're wondering, 
is it too late? It's not too late. God still has a plan. See, he reminds me of this from time to time because way too often I forget. Again, I, like I have a no, no problem believing that God's grace is for you. It, it's easy. But for me, man, it's difficult for me to buy into that. It, isn't that true for you? Like we can believe God's grace is for somebody else, but we have a difficult time believing it for us. Last week for me, it was, it was one of those weeks, you know, tough weeks. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but I've had one. All of us have had one. And, and, and it was a week of asking, God, am I doing the right thing? God, is, is this the right thing? God, just kind of struggling here. I'm not really sure if this is what I need to do. And, and I was reminded of this verse, and this is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. This is just for me. This isn't this is in your notes, but it's not necessarily for anybody. It said, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. And I was like quickly reminded because I'd been studying through Second Kings 5 and it just was like right there. God gave Naaman a second chance. God gave me a second chance. God will give you a second chance. Not only that, but he'll give us third and fifth and 87th and two millionth chances. There's, there's nobody in this room, there's nobody watching that has ever outran the grace of God or out sinned the cross. His grace it really is amazing. And, and my hope and my prayer for us today is that we'll be more aware of his grace and more aware of his presence than ever before. And that in his presence, we will understand he's not trying to punish us. He's not trying to get us back, but to bring us back because that's who he is. And that's what he does. Take your problems to God. You're going to see next week as we, as we continue in this story what happens when we finally yield and we finally submit to God and, and how he does set us free and how we can walk in that bondage, out of that bondage. That's why it's important to get people here to understand that message. And, and, and listen to me. This is it. I'm going to say this one more time. I'm going to be done. Stop trying to find worldly answers to spiritual problems. Trust him. Lean into him. Listen to him. Do what he says. Let's pray.